don't act like you don't know the song. Come on. Everybody knows that song, right? Who is it? What's the band? Who? No. Maybe you don't know the song. Boy. Anybody? Anybody? Mamas and the Papas? The Birds. That's right. Turn, turn, turn. Roger McGuinn, uh, one of the guys that Stephen Stills, I think, ended up in Crosby, Stills, Nash. Great song. Here's the deal. I think, I was thinking this week, I think that that song might be the most famous, like, cultural song that comes out of the Bible. That's what we're going to talk about today. That, that, those lyrics come almost word for word out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Anybody realize that? You're about to, because we're about to realize them. And you'll be like, oh, that sounds just like that song we just heard. Um, so, and I think in that, I think Ecclesiastes 3, uh, verses 2 through 8 might actually be, uh, because of that song and some other stuff, might be maybe one of the famous passages in the Bible outside of John 3.16, right, which we all, you know, the guy that wore the, the curly, rainbow-colored uh, curly hair at every football game and always held up John 3.16. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3, two verses, two, verses 2 through 8, I think, most famous verses out of the Bible. And we're going to take a look at those. My name's Eric. The second week in this series that we're calling Under the Sun, we're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. And what I want to do is read the scripture this morning, give you a couple thoughts that we're going to be receiving communion this morning. And so eventually I'm going to uh, shut up and then we're going to sing some songs and receive the gift of, uh, of, of God's grace, or not receive it, but remember the gift of God's grace. And so if you have your Bible and you want to turn to Ecclesiastes 3, it's just after the book of Psalms uh, a little bit. And we're going to just walk through some of the scriptures here. And uh, I'm just going to give you guys some, some things that have been on my mind this week. Is that cool? Cool. You ready? Yes? Okay. Awesome. So uh, chapter 3, verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Uh, and right there, I want to kind of pause because this throws us back a week. If you guys were here last week when we set up the series, we unpacked this phrase, under the sun or under the heavens, which is a Hebrew phrase, a Hebrew euphemism that is designed to make us think of the created world. Everything that has been brought into being in this world is under the heavens or under the sun. And if you were here last week, if it's under the heavens or under the sun, then that means it's also what? Vapor. It's passing away. The translation here says meaningless, but we talked about how everything under the sun is vapor. That's what the Hebrew word means. And so that means that if you orient your life around vapor, then you are going to be subject to the passing away of that vapor because that's what vapor does, right? It, it just blows away. It evaporates, and you can't hold it. And so if you remember the invitation of the book of Ecclesiastes, at least as I believe, is that the invitation is to live your life out of a different order of being rather than the things under the heavens or under the sun. So if you live your life according to the things in the created realm, you will be subject to the frustration of trying to grasp vapor. But if you enter into the reality of the things that are not under the heavens, not under the sun, that reality that we would call God, like you find something that is immune to vapor, 
And it's, and it's timeless and eternal. And so right out of the gate, the writer, the teacher here says, look, there's a time for every activity under the heavens, the created realm. And then he starts in verse two with the lyrics and the words that we know so well. There's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Those are beautiful words. It's such a beautiful, poetic passage of Scripture. But I want to point out something to us today that I think is pretty important for us to keep in mind. I don't know about you, but I've heard this passage taught uh, almost as an excuse for different behavior. So like you might go through, hey, well, I'm really angry right now. And like, well, there's a time for that. And there's a time to not be angry. And then there's a time for this. And so uh, and on one hand, I grew up with this idea of like, look, you know, sometimes I wake up grumpy. There's a time for that. And then there's a time that I won't be grumpy. And then there's a time for embracing people. And then there's a time because I'm an introvert where you don't embrace people, which is most of my life. No, but, but I, wanna, I want to um, suggest to you guys that that's not necessarily the way this passage is meant to be read. In, in fact, I, I want to use an actual passage from it because if you take that line of thinking that there's a time for everything and that's what it's about, that we have these passes because that's what Ecclesiastes 3 says, the problem with that thinking really comes out in verse 3 because the text says in verse 3 that there's a time to kill and a time to heal. And I want to be clear here because in verse 8 it says there's a time for war and a time for peace those two words are, are not the same I don't know if you remember again last week we talked about this book has a very checkered past in the history of God's people even going all the way back to the rabbis they would say uh, before Jesus even came they're like we're not even sure if this book belongs in the Bible because it says things that have really uh, almost no business entering into to comfortable, polite church people reality on Sunday morning. And verse 3 is one of them. Because the Hebrew word there means murder. It means kill. And so if you stay in that line of thinking that this passage is all about giving us permission, well, you come straight up against. So wait, the Bible says that there's a time for us to murder? It says war other places. I believe that the Bible has pretty clear, spoiler alert, guidelines against murder. One in the Ten Commandments, Jesus says, in fact, beyond the Ten Commandments, not only don't kill, but don't even become angry. And then Jesus further says, in a very clear statement, look, if you have an enemy and he hits you on one cheek, what do you do? You turn the other one, you know? And so you can't say, well, I guess this is about giving us excuses for our behavior because verse 3 says, therefore, then there's a time when I'm, 
it's okay to kill? No, I don't think so. I think what the writer is doing is giving a vague description of everything that you can encounter under the heavens, under the sun. And there will be times that come at you when it seems like, wow, it's time right now to gather stones. It's time to release them. There's a time to search and a time to give up. And it's almost as if he's pointing out that, look, life just has a way of bringing different things your direction. Anybody know that reality? Of like, hey, I've lived my life and, and, and it's been going on one arc for a while and then maybe it, it went this direction. And so I think what Ecclesiastes 3, 2 through 8 really does, it reminds us that life is seasonal. But it's not a pass to live into those seasons. And let me show you what I'm looking at. Well, let me show you what I'm talking about. Verse 9 through 11. It takes a little bit of a turn. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the, what's the text say? The burden that God has laid on the human race. So verses two through eight now, he introduces this, this idea that all of the seasons we encounter are not necessarily an easy thing for us to encounter. The thought is God has laid a burden on us, and what does that look like? Verse uh, 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And here's the key to everything today. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet, it's a very important word for us this morning, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Let me just finish and then we'll go back and talk about that verse a little more. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. And this is, again, is an echo of the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes where he says, look, life is vapor. It's fleeting. It's going to be hard to grasp. So have dinner and enjoy life. But again, like, like, think about this. That's not an excuse to say, like, I'm going to have a steak dinner and then another steak dinner and then another steak dinner. And that is just wrapping your life around another form of vapor called beef and barbecue. It's not a license and an invitation to just say, okay, well, life is just about eating and drinking and having friends. There's... There's another deeper part of this that we have to explore or we get struck with the idea that maybe Ecclesiastes is telling us to live counter to almost everything else in the Bible. So what does it mean? I said verse 11 really holds the key to everything. That passage, he set eternity in our hearts. Now the Hebrew word there is the, is the word alam. Let me hear you say alam. Now, uh, this is interesting because I want to show you the challenge of translating the Bible. The Hebrew word olam has potentially five different meanings, many of which are directly contradictory. 
So one meaning for alam is eternity. That's the way most of our Bibles have translated it. But if you have a Bible or an app, you, you might have a footnote or a little mark beside verse 11. I do. And let me read you what my little footnote says. Instead of eternity in the human heart, my little footnote says that verse 11 could also say that God has placed ignorance in the human heart so that we cannot grasp everything from beginning to end. So another, uh, another meaning of the word alam to translate from Hebrew is, is the idea that it means the world. So in this meaning, we would say God has placed the world in our heart, almost like we could understand the created world. We could look around, we can experience it. It can also mean the course of the world, discerning like what direction things are headed in the world. It could also mean knowledge. God has placed knowledge inside the human heart or what we just alluded to, or it could mean ignorance. Ignorance. That just shows you kind of the challenge of translating the Bible. Most scholars would say it's translated eternity, but you notice that verse says he's placed eternity in our hearts, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Do you see the tension between those two phrases? He's placed eternity in our hearts, yet no one can fathom from beginning to end. And this is where our frustration lies. This is where our frustration lies. This week when I was thinking about this morning, I encountered this, um, um, I don't know exactly what the, the language is around it, but it's an approach to business, an approach to engineering, and an approach to um, management called the five whys. Anybody ever heard of the five whys? It comes out of the Toyota approach to like uh, constructing cars, where they would say, look, if you want to know what, what the root cause of almost any problem in an in assembly line, you ask why five times. Because as a manager or a leader, what you're interested in is you're interested in the root causes. Why are we experiencing the thing that we're experiencing? So on the Toyota assembly line, if a part broke, the managers were called to ask questions, ask why five times. Well, the part broke because it didn't have a filter. Well, why didn't it have a filter? Well, the fil we didn't have a filter because we couldn't find it. Well, why couldn't you find the part? We couldn't find the part because none of the bins were labeled. Well, why weren't the bins labeled correctly? And when you ask five times why, you get to the root problem so you can solve the real problems of your process or your business, all right? I think as human beings, like we intrinsically understand asking why. Almost from, the, from multiple angles, you know, I've got children, ask a three-year-old, right, or have them ask why, 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 or ask a 14-year-old, why haven't you cleaned your room? Okay, well, why didn't you know your room had to be clean? Okay, well, let's talk, why, why, why? All right, and that works sometimes for a teenager. But here's the deal. It doesn't always work in reality, does it? It doesn't always work. Like, we can ask why. Some of us have asked why five times, 10 times, 15 times, 20 times. But sometimes you find yourself in a season where no matter how many times you ask why, you don't get the answer that you want. And so that's the part 
that says God's placed eternity in our hearts, but nobody can fathom. Because sometimes we go through seasons, time to heal, time to suffer, time to ask what's going on. And we want to know why, 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 why. But nobody can fathom from beginning to end what God has done. And isn't that frustrating? Isn't that potentially soul-crushing? To have eternity in your heart, but yet not be able to understand all of the whys, you know? And I've known enough of you to understand that that little word, W-H-Y, is the word that can trip us up more than anything else. But we're left with the promise of olam, eternity, in our hearts. So how do we separate those things? I have a friend uh, in this community, and they were telling, uh, sharing a story in our growth group this week. And, and as I said, you know, seasons sometimes come at us. And sometimes the seasons go up, sometimes the seasons go down. And there's a time for everything. Listen to this season. I want to recap for you this two, their 2004. All right? In April 2004, a childhood friend of my friend committed suicide. In July of 2004, a 20-something-year-old friend of my friend died of bone cancer. In September, on the 4th of September, at 7 o'clock in the evening, my friend's father passed away. On that same day, a few hours later, Hurricane Francis came through and hit directly where they lived. On September 5th of 2004, 12 hours after my friend's father passed away, his mother-in-law passed away. And then three weeks later, Hurricane Jean came through the exact same place. Anybody ever have a season like that? How many times do you want to ask why when you hit a season like that? Because the whys for most of us, if we get an answer to the, to the root cause of what's going on, a lot of us go, okay, I get it. Now I can fix that. But the problem that we encounter as human beings is a lot of times our root cause for why is because we are not God. And so we encounter a season and we start to ask why and we get an answer to the one why. We might get an answer to the second, the third, the fourth. But eventually, the answer is because I'm not God. And if I was, maybe I would fix this, but I'm not. So what do we do with that? Because, because if you can't, I want to I throw out that if you can't navigate that, that can cause a tremendous amount of despair and anxiety and sorrow in your life. To not know why. And it can affect your faith. And yet, Ecclesiastes 3 God has placed eternity in our hearts. And eternity, the olam, is untouched by the seasons. God does not dwell under the heavens. Do you understand what I'm saying? He is not subject to the ups and the downs of life. He is beyond that. And there is something precious and safe and sacred that he gives us 
How do we get there? That's the question. How do we get there? How do we dwell in that eternity? In uh, John 14, Jesus uh, says these remarkable statements that offer us a way into the eternity in our hearts, that offer us a way into the alam and out of the vapor, out of the seasons. So he's talking to his disciples. In 14 verse 10, he says this, listen, don't you believe that I am what? In the Father and that the Father is in me. In verse 20, he says, on that day, disciples, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So Jesus says that there is a way to live that so in touch with the Father, so in touch with the sacredness and beauty of life that Jesus is like, look, I dwell with him all the time. I am in him, and he is in me. And then he says, guess what? You can be in me. I can be in you, and we both can be in the Father. The invitation is really just this plane. You can step in to the alam. You can step into the eternity in your heart and out of the seasons, out of the wise, in verse 27, he says it this way. Listen with your heart right now. Listen with your heart. Jesus' words. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Again, Jesus' words. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is not Eric's peace. This is not element three's peace. This is Jesus' peace. And Jesus gets his peace from dwelling in intimate connection with the Father. And that's available to all of us. Now the bad news is you cannot buy it. The bad news is you cannot earn it. The bad news is you cannot be good enough to get it. The good news is that it's given. It's given. Right now. Right here. No matter your season. No matter what time it is in your world, it is available now. How do you do it? I learned how to start doing this from uh, a video I watched of an old Franciscan monk. And he says, hey, anybody remember when you were learning to cross the street? And I do. And he said, when I learned to cross the street, my parents told me three words. Stop, look, and then go. Stop, look, 
and go. And if you want to take a step into feeling the peace that Jesus offers you, this is where you can begin. Stop is just the invitation to quiet down. I know you guys. I live my life with some of you. Life is busy, and it's faster, and it's faster, and pressures come, and so you run, and you run faster, and you run harder, and then when a season comes, boy, you hit that boosh. But when you take a second and say, you know what, maybe I can't put my phone on airplane mode for 15 minutes. Maybe I can turn the media off. Maybe I can just sit and breathe for 10 minutes. You can slow down enough to where your eyes and ears can start to open. And then you look. Where's God in my life? If he's placed eternity in my heart, where is God right now in my life? Now, this is when it gets difficult because, because I am not saying at all that you have to be grateful. I would not tell my friend to be grateful for Hurricane Francis. I would not tell my friend to be grateful for the bone cancer that took his friend's life. But the invitation is that there's always an opportunity to see where God is present in your life. What is he teaching you? What are you learning? Are you learning that community is a good thing to have? Are you learning patience? I hate to learn patience. I hate it. But the Bible says I should be patient. And sometimes the only... I don't know about you, but the only way I learn something is to actually try to practice being patient. (laughs) Are you learning perseverance? You don't have to be grateful for the suffering that is coming your way, but you can be grateful always for the things that is teaching you and for the way God is present. And then the last word is go. Go. Get up and look for a way to make a difference in the world. The next right thing. That's a phrase that I've heard a lot this week. You ask yourself, what's the next right thing that I should be doing? For some of you, it might be the next right thing is I should go help my spouse with the dishes or with dinner. Or I should get up and go spend time with my children. That's the next right thing I should do. For some of you, it might be bigger. The next right thing that we're going to do right now is experience communion. And, you know, and and I love that. I was thinking about the language about communion. You know, a lot of times we come in and we say we're going to take communion. The only way we take communion is because it was given to us. You cannot, like, again, pay for this or be good enough for it. Jesus just says, my peace is, is given to you. It's given. So really, we receive communion because it's a gift. My peace I give to you, and I do not give as the world gives, Jesus says. So again, Ecclesiastes, look, there's a time for everything. A time for suffering and a time for exaltation, a time for loss and a time for gain. 
But don't live in those times. Live into the eternity in your heart. Even when you don't get the answer to the question why, you can still experience the olam of God. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.